Hey, just uh, want to say hi this morning to all of you that are at our Santan campus, and then thanks to all of you that are sitting in our overflow chairs uh, at the back. Uh, I get that's not the most comfortable. Thank you for doing that. Part of that is, is we've had our singles out in the tent, and now that temperatures are like 110 plus, we've actually given them the overflow room right now, but that just means it's that much more crowded in this room. And, and you guys, you, you all get it. There's not enough seats uh, for who we have coming right now. Somewhere we're going to figure that out and, and fix that together. So, all right, here's the deal. As we begin, uh, two things uh, that I just got to make crystal, crystal clear. I get it, I get, I get, I get, I get it. I get that Thor uh, and, and his uh, father Odin, they're Nordic gods. I, I get it. And, and if there was any thought in our heart that we were going to cause confusion or, or that someone was like going to convert to Odinism today, you know, we would, we would have avoided, uh, you know, using uh, the clips and stuff. A anybody in here struggling with that? And you were thinking, you know, I'm right on the edge of, okay, all right, so we're, we're okay with that. And then the second part that I just got to make really clear is, uh, no, uh, it is not me playing the part of Thor in the movie. It's, it, we had women coming and asking after last, you know, it's not, I, you know. I actually, yeah, I turned down the part, no, so, okay, so it, it's not. Uh, so here's the deal, uh, we're just going to uh, talk, and it was interesting uh, because when I uh, saw the movie, I suddenly realized there is some really, really cool stuff in this movie that really uh, deals with this whole topic of manhood, and the part that's interesting about that is that I believe you and I live in a culture that's absolutely confused about what it means to be a man and, and what is a man's rightful place uh, in our culture and in our society. And so we're just going to kind of take uh, some stuff from the movie. Uh, the interesting part about it is, is not only did they kind of hit on some really, really key points, the interesting part is there's actually some stuff that has some real biblical significance there. And my best guess is the guys who wrote the screenplay probably weren't Christ followers, and yet some of this stuff really has some biblical pinnings behind it. And you and I are just going to unpack that. Now, here's what I'm going to say out loud in this room. I get that a ton of us aren't fathers. It doesn't matter because we're talking today about manhood, which I'm just going to tell you that every one of us in this room is going to be affected by men's comprehension and understanding and ability to live as men the way that God designed them. So for some of us that are men and you're trying to navigate this moment, I'm hoping you walk out of here today with just an absolutely laser focus and go, oh, that's what this is about, and that's how I'm to relate to my world and to my family and to my career, and that's what this looks like. And you would walk out of here with just unbelievable clarity. I'm hoping young men in this room would suddenly go, that's it. That's the definition. That's, that's what I'm striving to, and that's what it's going to look like for me to step into this thing called manhood one day and to do it really, really well. Ladies, this is not the service to sharpen your elbows and to poke your husbands. But here's what it is. Uh, it's it's going to give you absolutely uh, things to pray about on his behalf and things to praise him for when he gets it right. And I'm going to ask you to use the power of your womanhood to actually encourage and help him be a better man. And then maybe, uh, most importantly, if you're a young gal in this room and you aren't attached to a man, I hope you walk out of here today with a standard of what a godly man is supposed to look like. I've got a feeling there's some young ladies in this room who need to go home today and make a phone call and break off a relationship and say, look, you just ain't Thor. Okay? 
and, uh, and, and that, that, that's where I'm going in my life. So, so here's the deal. We're just going to spend a little bit of time. We're going to have some fun looking at some clips and then just unpacking not only what the movie kind of revealed, but what Scripture reveals on this whole topic of manhood. We get to the first clip, uh, and we'll show it to you. Uh, it's early on in the movie. Uh, Thor is receiving the hammer, and here's what's obvious. It's obvious he doesn't understand it. It's obvious that he's filled with arrogance. It's obvious he thinks this whole moment is all about his glory and all about all the attention being on him. The guy is just cocky out of his mind. So I want you to watch the clip. But the other part I want you to catch you watch the clip is as Odin, his father, hands in the hammer, listen to the description that Odin gives. It says, this is the purpose of the hammer. Okay? So here's that first clip. So it starts off kind of describing uh, the purpose of the hammer. Just kidding. I'm totally worthy. I... Uh, <laughs> starts off describing the hammer, uh, and he says this about the hammer. Uh, it's two-sided. Uh, there's actually a dual purpose here. Uh, there's a side that's intended to build, and there's a side that's intended to battle. And here's the irony of the description. That is absolutely what God built men to do. That God intuitively uh, placed within the heart of a man this desire to build and the desire to battle. And, and the problem, though, happens when, as men, we get this thing turned around. And I guarantee you that as you've watched and as our culture has struggled with this topic, what you and I are witnessing is men who have turned the hammer the wrong direction. And with that, have brought incredible consequences. And part of our hope today, as we just have this conversation, is that the men of Cornerstone would turn the hammers back. That you and I would lead out in this thing to say, no, 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 no. I am a man who builds the things that God has called me to build, and I am a man who battles the things that God has asked me to battle uh, in my life. Here's what happens too often for men. Men decide that the thing they're going to build is their career. It's really easy because it's so easy to measure a career. You know, it's, did I get a raise this year? Did I get the placard on the, on the wall? Did I move into the corporate office or not? What did my review look like uh, this year? And, and it's so easy to keep score that very often men's hearts are drawn to build our career. And we do this uh, thinking that the role of a man is to provide uh, things for his family. And so we go off and we start trying to leverage ourselves toward success and toward being better uh, in the marketplace. Uh, as we do that, it doesn't take long, and somewhere in your heart you go, you know what, it's really weird because I find myself being highly successful at work and highly appreciated as a man, and I'm, I'm one of the best employees uh, that they've got, but home feels like a struggle. I mean, there's just something not happening, and I don't know that I feel like I have the connections I'm supposed to have, and the relationships aren't where they ought to be. And here's the intuitive response of a man. I better get my family more stuff. And so we buy the jet skis, because we're going to spend family time, and we buy the cabin in the mountains, and now we've got a second uh, mortgage uh, going on. We, we, we do the vacation, because the vacation is going to be family time. But here's the problem. Now you've got to pay for all that. And so suddenly now we're actually spending more time at work and less time at home. In the midst of that, our wives say something. They, they begin to uh, express a discontent. And you and I, if we aren't careful as men, hear that expression of discontent as if she was attacking. And we are prone to say, 
Don't you get it? Don't you understand how much I have done for this family? I have bought the jet skis and I paid for the cabin. Everything I do is for this family. And we turn the hammer and we begin to battle the very thing we were supposed to build. And our hammer gets twisted in our hands. Guys, if, how about this? If, if, I, if I were to say to the average man, this is how easy this is. If I were to say to the average man, here's a hammer, and I want you to go build your neighbor's house with the one side of the hammer, and I want you to go destroy your own house with the other side of the hammer. Just go in your living room. There's not a man out there to go, that is the stupidest thing I've ever, why would you ever do that? You get men that when you and I give our lives to intel, we're building another man's house and often to the destruction of our own. And I'm just going to offer to you and say, why would you ever do that? And so, guys, here's the encouragement today. It's, it's not about beating anybody up. It's just about saying, hey, would, would the men of Cornerstone maybe, maybe today turn the hammer? Would we realign our priorities and say, look, here's the deal. I, as a man of God, I, as a follower, I'm going to build the things that God has assigned me to build, and I, and I am going to battle the things that God has intended me to battle. And I'm not going to live in the confusion that men around me live in. What if we accomplish that together today? Uh, the next clip in the movie, it's interesting. Uh, Thor uh, has decided that the hammer is about him. And it's about his success and it's about his glory. He has a completely selfish idea about the abilities and the strength that have been entrusted to him. He goes off to fight uh, some lifelong enemies uh, called the Jotun. Uh, his father has already conquered him in the past, but there's been a tenuous peace. And Thor says, look, if I'm going to be the next leader, if I'm going to be the next guy, they need to learn to fear me the way that they fear my dad. And so for no reason other than to go pick a fight and have his own victories, he goes off to fight the Jotun. He takes his friends who end up wounded and hurt within the excursion, and he comes back proud of what he's done. And in that moment, his father encounters him and says, Thor, that's not what the hammer was ever intended for. The power of the hammer wasn't for your glory, it was for your people's benefit. And he says to his Thor, you are simply a selfish boy. So here, here's that clip. So here's the question, what, what would happen? What would, how powerful would it be in the lives of men if you and I began to build the things that we were intended to build and battle for the things that we were supposed to battle for? What would it look like if you and I were worthy and lived lives of men? So here, here would be the first part. Uh, you and I would have to be sure that the things we were building were the things that really mattered, the things that really, really would make our lives count, and the things that God, when he created us as men, intended us to invest our lives building. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me uh, to a passage. It's Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25, 
Now, here's the deal. This verse happens in the context of talking to husbands about their wives. Don't go there yet. Because I believe the more powerful example for us today is the example of what Jesus was willing to do on behalf of the church. The thing that he said, look, if I don't get anything else right, if my life doesn't come to end, this is what I'm going to invest in. This is what I'm going to build with my life. That's what I'm going to do. So here it is. It's Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse uh, 25. Here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives. And then he gives the example. Just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, guys, you get the example that Paul here is drawing from. He's saying, look, husbands, as you go to treat your wives, do this, build into this, invest into this the same way that Jesus gave his entire life building into, establishing the church. Now, here's the thing, guys. You realize the church is us. And that Scripture's saying, look, with all of Jesus' power, with all of his glory, with, with all that he could have done to have been the guy at the front of the parades or to have found himself sitting on a throne with everybody bowing down, show me one moment that Jesus takes his strength and takes his capacity and uses it for himself. And just the opposite is true. Jesus understands in that moment that everything he has been trusted with with, by his heavenly Father was to be used for your benefit and mine. And he gave his entire life to winning people, to knowing his Father, to training and building up the disciples for your benefit and for mine. So much so that he lays down his life for us. just reinforces how crucial it is, guys, that you and I are building what we ought to be building, and that you and I fundamentally understand within our hearts that whatever strength God has given you, whatever the wonder of your manhood is, it is not for your glory. It is for the benefit of those God has placed in your life. So let me just go through. I'm going to give you four places that I'm just going to ask, what if, what if you and I today, as the men of Cornerstone, turned the hammer. And what if you and I, for the next 12 months, just began to build the things that God says are important to build? How far would we get? And how influential would our lives be if the hammer was pointed in the right direction? So here you are, okay? Four things, four things that God has called all of us as men to build, okay? Number one, your relationship with God. Your relationship with God. How cool would it be if 12 months from today, you and I could sit in this room on next Father's Day and the men of Cornerstone could sit here and say, look, I'm just going to tell you, for 12 months, I have built my relationship with God. This has been where I've put my effort and my priority. And I'm just telling you, I have moved so far in my devotion to Jesus Christ in the last 12 months. I have learned so much scripture in my life. I have become so much more like Jesus because I have been building this into my life. My walk with God has been my primary building concern in my life. And I can tell you that I am exactly where God hoped I would be. On this Father's Day, in my walk with God, how different would our lives be if we were building 
what we're supposed to build as men. How cool would that moment be? Second thing, you're to be building into your relationship with your wife. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, and this is the mistake that you and I won't make, is that so many men believe that what our wives want from us is providing their material needs. And can I tell you that at the end of the day, unless you married a gold digger, and I don't want to see a raise of hands, <laughs> she is much more concerned about your heart. And that your heart is forever pursuing her. There is something in the way that God wired her as a woman. And someday maybe we'll talk about this. But there's something about her that absolutely delights in the chase. Delights in her man pursuing her and ultimately catching her over and over and over again. And see, what happens so often in manhood is that we go, well, wait a minute, I, I, I fooled her into marrying me. I mean, that job's done, right? I mean, and what we miss in the heart of our wives is that our wives love the chase. There's something about her man pursuing her heart that fills her emotional tank. And here's the cool part about it, guys. I already know you can do it. Here's how I know you can do it. You caught her once. You did that because you courted her, because you did everything in your power to chase her until you caught her heart. And instead of viewing your wife and courting her as a task, what if you and I saw it as an unbelievable privilege to fill her heart? and a responsibility given by God. Men, when you go to your car and you get in and you start to leave for the day, what's the first thing you look at? Gas gauge. Some of you are going to go, my leather upholstery. It's pretty cool. <laughs> gas gauge. And here's what you check out. You say, hey, do I got enough gas? How, how close am I to empty? And if you find the gas gauge to empty, here's what I know you do. You immediately drive to the gas station you fill the car back up. Hey, guys, I'm just going to when's the last time you checked your wife's emotional tank? And, and what would it mean that consistently to say, hey, I, that, that's, that's my thing. That's, that's, what, that's what God has given me to build. And I am, I'm going to spend the next 12 months, I'm gonna, between now and the next 12, I, I'm going to simply be constantly checking my wife's emotional tank. And when I find it empty, I will immediately turn to fill it. You'd be a pretty amazing husband. You would be building exactly what God gave you to build. It'd be a cool day for you as a man. Third thing, not only am I to build my walk with God, not only am I to build my relationship with Jesus Christ, I am to invest and build into the lives of my children. Men, guys, do not miss this. Far too many confused men, not the men of Cornerstone, all those guys out there, okay, uh, Far too many confused men think that raising children is a woman's job. And if you believe that, you've missed the power of the hammer. You've missed the influence of a father. And I'm going to tell you that there are lessons and there are measurements that will be placed and markers in the lives of your children that will always be a reference point to you. I guarantee you, children take their moral compass from their dads. As much as mom says, as much as mom tries to instill, it is the voice of the dad that ultimately has the loudest and strongest influence on the moral compass. And I'm just going to tell you, how cool would it be? How cool would it be if the men of Cornerstone said, look, here's the deal. 
Uh, we're not letting any magazines like that into our homes. Uh, we're we're going to put some safeguards on our computers. You're never going to see dad looking at that. We're, we're not going to have premium channels on our TV because you and I know what premium channel means. And we're not going to do that because here's the deal. I don't want my daughter to ever see her dad leering at women that way. I, I don't want my daughter to ever think for even a moment that the way to get the affection of a man or the attention of a man is to give herself to every 16-year-old male that will show her the time of day. I'm going to set a higher moral compass than that for my daughter. I don't want my son to see his dad Googling and ogling over women who are not his wife. And, and, and here's the and, and because I'm not going to send my son into the world to go put extra notches in his belt and leave a path of broken and wounded girls in his wake. And I'm just going to say, men, the power that has been given to you to build into the lives of your children a moral compass is amazing. And what if you and I set our faces and just said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start living in front of my, example, my, my family with such a high-level example that I will absolutely challenge my kids to follow Jesus with the same amount of integrity and the same amount of passion and the same amount of holiness as their dad. That'd be a good day in our manhood. My walk with God, I'm to build. My relationship with my wife, I'm to build. The moral compass in the hearts of my children, I'm to build. And then finally, we're to build our church. You realize that why you and I are here is to make Jesus Christ famous. To take wounded people and heal them and take people who are far from God and introduce them to God. And, and, and guys, how cool would it be in our church if there came the day when the majority of leadership roles were filled by men and we had to say to ladies, hey, we would love to have you serve here. But the truth is, so many men have volunteered and so many men have stepped up to this. There's no room for you right now. How cool would that moment be? What if, what if you and I turned the hammer and said, look, giving my life to building another man's house to building some corporation success isn't worthy of the gift of manhood that God has given me, and I will go to build my own home and my own relationship with God. That's the thing I will build for the next 12 months. We'd understand the hammer a whole lot better. So there's a second part. Not only are men built to build. Not only did, is this how God wired us in our manhood, and, and not only would it be just an amazing thing if, if all of us set our faces and said, we're going to build the things that God has called us to build, but guys, I'm just going to tell you, there's some battles that you and I need to battle, that deep within the heart of men, God has set a switch, Something in us that just says, look, I can't take that lying down. I can't let that happen on my watch. And I've got to go battle for what's right. I've got to go stand for what needs to be stood for. I can't let that harm come upon those that I love. And God set within your heart the need to battle because you're a man. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles and go with me uh, over to the left. Matter of fact, just go to the front of your Bible. You're going to find the book of Genesis, and then go to the right, 
And we're going to go to the second Samuel. Second Samuel. Chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now here's the deal. We're, gonna, we're getting ready to read a list real quickly of David's mighty men. So think about this for a moment. These are guys who put their lives behind David. They knew that Saul couldn't, didn't need to be king, and so they've, they've been willing to risk everything to follow David. They've been out doing battle. These guys are gnarled men. They've got the scars to prove it. And the list we're about to read are three men who stood above all the rest of the men. These are David's mighty men, men who were men amongst men. And the reason they were is because when the time was needed, they chose to do battle for what needed to be battled. Ladies, if, if you're a single mom in the room today, and especially if you've been in a relationship with a man and he turned the wrong side of the hammer in and you've been wounded and you've been hurt by the battling side of a man because you've experienced what you should have never experienced, you're going to be tempted as you raise your son to not bring this part to the conversation. And here's the problem, that if you don't instill within the heart of a boy that a man is willing to fight for the things that need to be fought for, you'll raise a gentle coward. Because God has instilled within the heart of every man that there is a time and there is a moment to do battle. Here we go. We're going to read the names and, and the moments these men chose to do battle that distinguished them amongst all the rest of the men. Here we go. It's David's mighty men. It's 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. Here's what it says. These are the names of David's mighty men. Joshev Beshevith, a Tachemanite, the chief of the three. In other words, he's above all of them. This, this guy stood out even above his peers of the three. Uh, he raised his spear against 800 men he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Pastamum for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. But he stood his ground, and he struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to his sword." The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar. In other words, after he wins the battle, then all the guys who ran away came back, only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shema, son of Agi the Herite. When the Philistines banded together to a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them, but Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it, and he struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. So three guys who said, I get the moment, I understand what I need to do, and this is a moment when a man goes to battle. Okay? So here they are. Here are the three moments. Number one uh, is Joseph. And it says of Joseph, he stands and battles 800 by himself. Now, guys, I'm just going to ask, how crazy is that? This is somewhere in the realm of stupid, right? I mean, 800 to 1, you retreat tactically. You find a better time and a better moment to fight. You don't stand by yourself and fight. Unless. Unless you're a man who says, this moment is about doing the right thing. 
This, this moment is, is about standing when others run. And, and, I, and, and when it comes to doing that which is right, I'm not going to compromise my ethics. I'm not going to lie my way out of this. I'm not going to do whatever is easy. I'm going to do what needs to be done in this. I'm going to do the right thing in this moment, and I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm simply going to stand with no excuses and do what's right. It's a man who says, look, here's the deal. My marriage isn't what my marriage probably ought to be. And I could, I could, I could sit here right now and I could say, look, if I stand up and I begin to really invest in my marriage, it would be a lot of help if my wife would, would join in with me. But I, I already know she won't. It'd be a lot of help if my kids would show me just a little bit of respect, but there, there's just no chance for that. And rather than offer the excuse, rather than say, you know, if they're not going to do what, what they ought to do, then, then, you know, I mean, why would I do what I'm going to do? This is a guy who says, no, 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 no. This isn't about anybody else. This isn't about what's easiest from here. This is about what ought to be done. And I am simply going to be the husband I ought to be. I'm going to be the man of God that I ought to be. I'm going to be the father that I ought to be without any excuses. I don't care if work is telling me they want more hours. I don't care. I'm simply going to do what's right because it's right. You'd be a man amongst men. The second guy, uh, it's Eleazar. So verse uh, 9. Uh, next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Ahai. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Pastamim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and he struck down the Philistines. Ready for this? Till his hand grew tired and froze on his sword. So you get the moment. Everybody else gives up. Everybody else flees. This guy stands there battling away till finally he's so tired he can't lift his arm anymore. Uh, his friends have to come and peel his fingers because his, his, his hand is seized up in a cramp and it's around, and they have to peel his fingers away from the sword. You get what, you get what this guy is standing. He says, look, here's the deal. I'm in and I'm not giving up. I, I mean, no, no, I mean, here's the deal. I may not even see the results I want to see. I may not even see the success that I'm hoping. I'm just telling you, I'm not leaving my post. I am going to battle because that's what I've been called to do is battle. And I am not going to retreat. I'm not going to abandon my position. And you'll have to come and pry my fingers off my sword. Because I ain't giving up. And if we fail today... If the battle is lost today, it's not going to be because I didn't stand my post. A couple of years back, and i got to be careful. I don't want to share any names in the story because some might recognize the names. But a couple of years back, uh, I ended up on a day when uh, there was somebody who was promoted uh, in leadership over the top of me. I really, from the very beginning, just thought it was an absolute mistake. And matter of fact, I called that person's supervisor, you know, when the decision was made. I just said, well, I, you know, I just got to say out loud, I don't understand that promotion. I, I'm not sure. And, and you know, it, it, it just, I, I just don't think that person has the capacity to do the job that you just assigned them. And the person I was talking to said, well, you know, duly noted. Uh, but they are your leader now. And uh, they have that position. The decision's been made. And we hung up the phone. 
And, and I was left with a really tough moment in my life because every part of me wanted to say, this guy's going to fail. I mean, this guy, this guy doesn't even come close to having the abilities that he needs. Success is just, I, I, I can't even imagine success. So what do I do now? Do I retreat from the field? Do I, you know, stand and watch his demise? What, what do I do? And in that moment, I chose. I chose not because I wanted to. I chose not because my heart was excited about it. I chose because it's what a man does to support my leader. I absolutely just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step up. I'm going to support this guy. I'm going to work my head off to try to make him successful. Because here's the deal. If he doesn't succeed, it's not going to be because I laid down my sword. It's not going to be because I didn't give it 110%. And guys, I'm, I'm just telling you, men who are men amongst men, men who know how to battle when it's time to battle, simply say, look, battling isn't because I think it's going to be successful. Battling isn't because everybody else is joining in with me. Battling is because that's my assignment. That's what God has called me to, to fight for my family and fight for my marriage and, and to fight for my church. And that's just what I'm going to do. And I'm just going to tell you, you're going to have to pry my fingers off the sword. That's the only way you're going to get me to stop. Last guy, his name is Shama. It's in verse 11. Here's what it says. Next, time to, next to him was Shama, son of Agi, the Herorite, with the Philistines banded together at a place. There was a field full of lentils. Israel's troops fled from them. Isn't it interesting that in all three of these guys' stories, these men amongst men, their names were made as men when other men ran in fear and failed. And they chose to be men. Which just simply says, guys, you and I are not going to take our cues from our culture. We're going to take our cues from God. During the harvest, here we go. When uh, <clears throat> the lentils troops fled from them, but Shama, verse 12, took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Guys, here's the deal. At first, you read this and go, you know what, what feel the lentils, what, you know, what's going on? Here's what you need to know. In this time, a tactic of warfare was when you went into a land and you began to take ground, you burn everything. Everything. Because what you can't accomplish with the sword, you can accomplish with starvation. So as you go and as you start to conquer a land, not only do you kill every male you can, you then burn everything so that everybody who's left starves to death. At the very least, it takes them decades to be able to recover economically and ever be able to come back and attack you. And, and here's, here's what Shema knows as he stands in that field. If I give this field up, the women and the children will suffer. And so he stands. He stands in the gap. He defends the defenseless. He steps up for the week and he says, not on my watch. You will not inflict any harm here as long as I'm here. Years ago, I, some of you know my story, my parents were divorced. I, I was living at my uncle's house. Uh, we'd mow lawns uh, all summer long. Uh, he was a commercial uh, landscaper and we'd mow lawns together. And he always had other guys on the crew. Uh, there was this one guy on the crew uh, named Randy. And I... The truth was, I kind of liked Randy, and I thought he was kind of a cool guy. He was about five years older than me. 
And so I did what every 13-year-old punky kid does. I started picking on Randy to get his attention. You know, that, that's what you do. And so uh, Randy finally decided one day he'd had enough of this bratty little kid. And so he took me out in the front yard at my uncle's house and started whooping the holy fire out of me. I mean, he was, he was going at it. It was interesting because at first my uncle watched. Uh, I think my uncle figured I deserved much of it. What actually is, is good parenting, by the way. And, uh, and so he watched as Randy kind of, you know, messed with me and, and beat me up a little bit. But there came a part where it kind of crossed the line. And uh, Uncle Marty said, oh, okay, uh, that, that's, that's too far. The kid, the kid doesn't deserve that. And I remember my Uncle Marty stepping up. And he said to Randy, he said, uh, would you ever consider wrestling a man? And Randy goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My Uncle Marty turned that boy into a pretzel. Ah, it was painful and grueling and wonderful all at the same time. It was so great to watch. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I cannot tell you how much pride I had as a 13-year-old young man knowing that when I needed to be defended, my uncle would defend me. And man, I just can't even tell you what it would do to the hearts of your family if they knew the time was needed, you'd stand in the field and you'd go to battle for them. That you'd be able to say to those God has trusted to your care, no harm will come to you through me and surely never from me. Guys, there's times when men have to do battle because that's what God called us to. Here, here's what I was just thinking today. All of you guys, I hope, think most of you guys, when you came in, we gave you a hammer. How cool would it be today if the men of Cornerstone all made sure their hammer was pointing in the right direction? That you and I were building the things that God has assigned us to build, and we were battling the things that God assigned us to battle. Our homes would be blessed, our church would be blessed, and maybe more, our Savior would be blessed if we were living fully in our manhood. And so here's what I'm just going to do. I'm just going to give us a moment to bow our heads right now. I just want us to take a moment in prayer. I'm going to ask young girls to pray that someday God will bring into their lives the man who holds the hammer well. I'm going to ask for the young men in the room to pray, God, raise me up to be a man who understands the hammer and builds what you've called me to build and battles what you called me to battle. I'm going to ask for wives to pray for, not poke their husbands, pray for their husbands. God, would you raise up a man in our family? who battles what he needs to battle, who builds what he needs to build, and give me the voice to praise him when he does it well. And men, I'm going to ask you to take a moment and say, God, I'm pointing my hammer the right way. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we just simply come to you in the moment. God, help us to live in the fullness of manhood. Help us... Help us to acquit ourselves, the men of Cornerstone, wielding the hammers of building and battling. That we would build the things you've called us to build and we would battle the things you've called us to battle and we would acquit ourselves well as men. God, this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, my prayer for you men is that we would step into manhood. 
that you would absolutely begin to find the joy of your life in building the things that God has assigned you to build and battling the battles that God has given you to battle. And that you would flourish in being men of God. There's a last scene uh, that we're going to show here real quick. Uh, it's at the end of the movie. Uh, Thor's brother Loki has sent this kind of cyclopsy robot thing to finally kill Thor. He's seen his opportunity. And so uh, this cyclopsy thing has actually uh, wounded a bunch of Thor's friends. Thor turns to his friends and says, hey, look, here's the deal. You guys run to safety. I've got a plan. Guess what his plan is? Thor's plan is to walk out, present himself to the cyclops, and offer his life. See, for the first time, Thor is realizing my call is not about my glory. My call was always to defend and build. And for the first time, he understands it. It's interesting because it's that moment that his father gives him back the hammer. Here's the other cool part about it. When Thor gets done, uh, he walks back over to his friends, and uh, Natalie Portman, who is his love interest in the story, looks at him, because now he's got the full costume thing going on, and he says, uh, she says, do you always dress like that? And Thor says, yeah, most, mostly. And Natalie Portman looks at him and says, that's a good look on you. How cool would it be, men, if our wives and our children looked at us and said, that's a good look on you. Here, here's the clip. 